Outside the Box. Hello and welcome to Outside the Box, first one of 2022. I am joined by Mickey Noonan. Hola. I thought maybe I'd be like Ilaria Baldwin and try being Spanish for a bit. What what Spanish name would you pick? Micalia. <laughs> Jose. Can I be Jose? Sorry. Yes, you can. And Jen offered. I prefer Genifa, if you don't mind. Um. <laughs> See, it works with your name. Mm. It works. So, quite a lot of stuff to talk about at the top that's either very near or there's news on or or whatever. So let's start there. Channel 4 has a new drama, Screw, starring Nina Sasania, who I like. Yes, we like her. I yep. like her. Yeah, she's great. Mm-hmm. So I will get round to watching it, but I haven't. Channel 4 also has a three-part documentary about Louise Woodward, which I did actually watch. Ooh. I don't know who remembers the Louise I Woodward do case but i i actually remember it having a i would say a relatively profound effect on me when it was happening when it was live because she was roughly the same age as me and i knew people who'd done what she did and by that i mean gone to america to to get jobs as nannies so it felt quite terrifying the idea that people go off on a jolly to live with the family in america and 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 that this could be an end result of it i don't think it added anything to the experience of having watched it when it was going on, to be honest. I didn't dislike it. It's not good. It's not bad. It's just there. Sorry, for people who don't remember, what was the end result? Was she murdered or did she do some murdering? She shook a baby or she was accused thereof. Yes, a, a baby in her care died and she went on trial and was found guilty of shaking the baby on and the the documentary does go into this on some evidence that isn't necessarily particularly uh good i would say there is still a debate over, over whether shaken baby syndrome is actually a thing it talks to people involved with the case people sorry and then what i should say is when it came to sentencing the judge he sentenced her to really unusually time served basically and she returned to the uk oh that is unusual yeah i yeah. remember her coming i remember her coming back quite quickly after the trial so was it like when you like on remand and then it's like well you've already done your time so off you pop yes basically yeah which maybe that says to you something about how secure that conviction Mm. was in the first place it is an interesting case is she given any airtime sorry no louise woodward has basically disappeared what is interesting is, you know, as a, uh, to watch what the news was like, you know, at the time and how it was reported, because she was very much seen as being innocent here and, mm. and being guilty in America. I think the most interesting aspect to me is the fundamentally crazy idea that it's a good idea to get teenage girls from different countries to come and look after your children and... It's difficult because I would make no want to make no judgment on how anyone arranges their childcare, but there was lots of complaints that Louise would, would went out and got drunk and you know she's nineteen, you know, mm-hmm. and she's being paid essentially quite a small amount of money for childcare because she gets to live in your house and that whole culture isn't really explored at all, possibly because it strays a little bit into the victim blaming category. You know, the idea that that the mother in some way bore responsibility because of who she let look after her kids, which, I mean, I wouldn't like to say that. But anyway, it's interesting. It's there on Channel 4. I saw an advert for this and, I don't know, it just made me a bit like, oh, 
why are we talking about this again? So I just wondered, as you were saying that, was there any particular hook? Like, why why are they re-examining this at this point in time? Is there an anniversary or... 1997 it happened in. So, so 25, 25 years. 25 years, yeah. Anyway, that's what's going on on Channel 4. A couple of updates from Sky. Frayed, which was supposed to be on in January, has been bumped back to, into the schedules for February. So obviously we haven't seen it, although I think Mickey might have. But I have seen Series 2 and I think you should all be very excited for February. Great. Upright, for some reason, appeared on the schedules erroneously. It's not even been filmed yet, so apologies if you were hoping that we might have something to say on that. Sky's also pushing a three-part documentary called Murders at Starved Rock, which is a true crime. So I'm not going to watch it, but you might be interested. I have seen a couple of episodes of something that starts in February called The Fear Index, which stars Josh Hartnett and Leila Farzad, who was so brilliant in I Hate Susie. Mm. And that is based on a Robert Harris book. And I watched it because I specifically watched it because there's something afoot with Josh Hartnett's face in it. And I was Josh curious. Josh Hartnett, there's a blast. Yeah, that's what past. I was thinking. I was curious because we've had so many conversations about what women have done to their face. I was curious to see you know, how that affected his acting. But more on that in the next episode as well. (laughs) Afterlife is back on Netflix. This week, loads of stuff back on Netflix. There'll be new Ozarks, which none of us watch, but if you do, there you go. There will be new Snowpiercer, which I will watch because it is bonkers. And (laughs) Did you stick with that? (laughs) It's got Sean Bean in it. Why wouldn't you watch something that's got Sean Bean in it? (laughs) I mean, what it is. It was, it was mental, It's about a train travelling at, like, lightning speed around a post-apocalyptic <laughs> world, Jen. It is insane. Snowpiercer. Anyway, there's also new a new series of The Sinner due this week. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Netflix is pushing quite a lot in its adverts to me. A spoof thriller which starts next week starring Kirsten Bell, or is it Kristen Bell? Kristen Bell. Kristen Bell. It's called The Woman in the House Across the Street from the Girl in the Window. So make The Guardian a... gave that a very good review, by the really? way. Really? Okay. Mm. Well, that's interesting. That might feed into something I'm going to talk about. Okay. I think that's it for my news. So let's talk about something we've actually watched. The only thing that all three of us have actually watched, let's start with that, which is Anne, which is on ITV, four-part drama series starring Maxine Peake as real-life campaigner, and Williams, who embarked on a decades-long battle for justice for her son Kevin who died age 14 at Hillsborough. Jen and I have seen all of it, Mickey's seen the first episode. I was a little bit worried about this at the start. Now worried isn't the right word but... Because it's on ITV? No, not because it's on ITV (laughs) if I'm going to be totally honest. Not because it was on ITV but because of the sort of thing it is. Number one, it's not Jimmy McGovern whose Hillsborough drama was so amazing. It's not... Jeff Pope, who does this sort of thing so brilliantly. So I thought, you know, this could be not good. And then I would feel really terrible for having watched it because it's not good. And I'm pleased to say that wasn't the case. It's actually written by Kevin Sampson, who, for anyone who doesn't know, was actually at Hillsborough. Mm. If I'd known that before I watched it, my level of trust in it going in would have been way higher, if you know what I mean. So to say I was pleasantly surprised is an understatement because I thought it was amazing. As you know, I'm not a crier and I pretty much cried for four hours watching this. It was unbelievably hard to watch. 
Maxine Peak is very good, and maybe we can go into that. But I would say in the first episode, Stephen Walters is just magnificent. Yeah. He plays her husband, mm. who is Kevin's stepdad, right? Yeah. How it unfolds is, I think, is done brilliantly for anyone who hasn't watched it. Uh, a little pricey. You know, at the start, they become aware that Hillsborough's happened, and they turn up into the chaos to try and find him. And they go through like a series of, of rooms and doors and corridors and behind every one there is just wailing. You know that they instinctively know that he's dead. But, she says in the car, doesn't she? She says, I felt him leave me. But they don't actually know. He's currently sort of mm. Schrodinger's child at that point. Is he alive or is he dead? And they instinctively know he's dead and they keep having to go into rooms. And Stephen Waters manages to move forward whilst looking like he's going backwards. The revulsion of walking through those doors while actually walking through those doors is you can actually see it in its physicality. And I think it's I think the first episode is is genuinely incredible. I I, I mean, I think it did sustain it throughout a sustained interest. I think it's sustained power. It's sustained emotion. But I think the opening episode is is is, is tremendous. That's the one you've seen, Mick. Yeah, I found it a bit t- too much, which is totally understandable given the subject matter. And yeah, I, I will definitely go back and watch the other three, but I'm going to really have to get my heart in gear to do that because like you, just sat there with tears streaming down my face the whole hour. It's weird because I would say of the three of us, I am probably more of a crier and um, I didn't cry the whole way through, but it is like, it's very, very tense, isn't it? In the first episode, I think the, the things for me that it did really well was in that first episode where they are going through those doors, as you say, Hannah, like into this sort of craziness of the situation and seeing all these people crying and, and the way they, it is dawning upon them that like, they're going to be one of those people crying, but you know, just please don't let me be one of those people while still sort of having empathy for them. If that makes any sense, like really, I thought they did that amazingly well and I think just the way that it's consumed her whole life, like this campaign just consumed her entire life. And I suppose it must be like that for a lot of the families who have campaigned since Hillsborough. I think it really... Well, since any major... Sure, yeah, absolutely. Or, or like in, injustice, yeah. But the way it consumed their lives and, and the impact that it had on them, that you know, that relentless quest for justice, the impact that it had on their lives. It kind of reminded me a bit of the the Stephen Lawrence mm. drama. Mm. I mean, it's similar to sort of injustice, legal fights, etc., etc., although completely different situations. And weirdly, I, I was Googling her afterwards, which led me to a video of Alan Hansen presenting her children and her brother with a posthumous... Sports Personality of the Year, Helen Rollison Award, which is like the one they give quote-unquote normal people rather than like actual athletes or people in the world of sport. And Alan Hansen like crying as the whole... Because he played at Hillsborough. And that was the thing that like set me off afterwards. But yeah, I thought it was really good. Really, really good. Really good performances. And like more subtle than a lot of the kind of things i know mick you said like it was too much for you but i actually think like the whole thing the first episode is really tough but i actually thought a lot of the kind of things they do on itv 
of that nature, kind of real life tragedy sort of stuff. I actually thought it was a lot more subtle than a lot of that. Yeah, there's no sensationalism yeah. in it at all. It's telling a story and it's telling it really honestly. Mm. And yeah, I thought that was that was excellent. And yet, well, by too much, I just found that level yeah. of emotion crying was yeah. Yeah, was it was a was a lot um, for a Sunday night. The unsentimentality does stretch to in later episodes to the fact that you know you're not looking at a group of people who all necessarily have the same aim and that does Mm. come up you know justice means different things to different people Mm -hmm. and I think that's interesting I mean a couple of years ago I lived with some people who were from a town I won't say where because it's really small because they were kind of paranoid about talking to me about it to be honest because they know what they knew what I did for a living they lived in a really small town that was the subject of a massive like worldwide disaster and they said some really interesting things about what the aftermath does to survivors and the sort of the odd sort of almost competitiveness that that comes up and and it's demonstrated here the question is is she seeking justice for her son or is she seeking justice for the, the victims of Hillsborough. And and you know what I mean? There is a sort of level of, you know, well, your son maybe looks m- more a sympathetic victim than than my son did and, and that sort of thing. And I think that's mm. handled really well here as well. Mm. It's interesting as well, coming from a family of Scousers and like the, the son was just a swear word yeah. in our houses after Hillsborough. Like my granddad, had, he'd read the son solidly and oh. it was the star from then on. The star did great work in in Liverpool and surrounding areas, and and how that brought a community together. The way that the Liverpool supporters were treated is just absolutely horrendous, and it hasn't lost any of its horror, right? In the intervening years, it's not lost any of its horror. How those reporters just like send her flowers to be able to burst into her house mm. and ask her what she really felt about the truth. And I just said out loud, "No wonder people hate journalists." Yeah. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, because you're not talking about a tragedy that, well, I mean, there's lots of tragedies that are avoidable, even what natural ones like look at, look at Hurricane Katrina. It's The death toll is the, the headline figure, mm. but the real interest is the cover-up and they're all, all the institutional failures that have led to it. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly, I think, what what this, what Anne really gets to the heart of. There are two sides to the coin and they are both sort of equally important. Well done, ITV. Yeah, well done, ITV. Okay, so you've got a choice here. You can have, I mentioned Maxine Pake there and I mentioned Jeff Pope. So I've seen another drama that involves both of those sides. So which one do you want? I'd stay with Maxine. Hey? Okay. The Rules of the Game, BBC drama, mm. six mm. parts, written by Ruth Fowler about a, a woman who arrives at a sort of kind of sports direct style company that's about to be floated and she's the new HR person and she discovers that all is not what it should be at this place. Maxine Peake plays the COO and she's the only non-family member on the board of this company. Yeah, I mean, what a squandering of not just Maxine Peake but also Alison Stebman. I thought it was oh, no. just... Uh, just eh, it felt like it was trying to make political points about sexism in the workplace, about the way women are treated. 
you know, sexual assault in the workplace, you know, NDAs, all those sort of things. But it didn't feel like it was making that point particularly well or particularly fluidly. If you make that point in a company that you've already basically started out as saying is fucked, then I wonder what point you're making about how prevalent those things are in the workplace, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? What I'm saying is, if you're basically saying this company is run by cunts, right, and then you show them (laughs) as being the sort of people that harass, sexually harass their female staff members, then... Are you like, oh, the cunts are being cunty? Yeah. There's a surprise. Whereas if you, you, like, had it in a company that actually seemed quite nice, then maybe that would actually tell you more about how prevalent that sort of thing is. The BBC, for example, maybe (laughs) if they'd set it in the BBC. There you go. I just... None of the characters were likeable, and that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter because none of the characters in Succession are likeable. But they do have the the good grace to be funny and to be quirky and to be, you know, entertaining to watch. I would stay clear if I was you. I thought it was pretty weak. Surprised it wasn't sneaked out in August is what I'm going to say about that. Oh. Jen, I believe you've watched a couple of maybe sort of similar dramas that I've seen Floating around oh. on the top of the iPlayer and I've never been quite inclined to watch. Yeah, I've watched two BBC dramas. Um, I'll start with You Don't Know Me, starring Samuel Adewunmi as the main character, who we simply know as Hero. He's been wrongly accused of the murder of Ne'er-Do-Well Jamil after meeting and falling in love with Kyra, played by Sophie Wilde, who he has to save from the clutches of Jamil's rival gang of ne'er-do-wells. The story is told by Hero in flashback as he represents himself in court. It's twisty, it's turny, is it ridiculous? Well, a lot of the plot feels quite far removed from my life experience, so it's quite hard for me to say. What is unrealistic for me might not be for someone else, But what I will say is that I think it demonstrates really well the inequalities in the legal system as well as how quickly a situation can escalate beyond your control and the lengths that you might have to end up going to to get out of a situation if you don't have exactly the safety net around you that I'm talking about when I say that this is a situation very far removed from my own personal experience. So it clatters along at a nice pace. There's some great performances by Yatunde Odawole and Bookie Bakrai, who you may remember from Rocks, as discussed in a previous episode of Flicking, as Hero's mum and sister. It also stars your pal, Hannah, Michael Balligan, as oh, I'm in. another <laughs> ne'er-do-well. I watched this expecting it to be shit, and I was pleasantly surprised. Why did you go? Why did you watch something that you thought was going to be? Because I was shit? desperate for something to watch, Mickey. This is Fair what enough. happens when you're when yeah. you're a single mother sitting at home <laughs> every night uh, before Christmas, trying not to get COVID. Anyway, okay. What about the other one? Because there's been something, and it's yes. got Dave, it's got David Oyelowo, Oyelowo, and Gugu Mbatha-Raw. Yes, who are both brilliant. So I did kind of mean to watch it, but I yeah. Well, well, Hannah. BBC One, it's called The Girl Before, based on a book by J.P. Delaney, which I was excited to watch because, as you say, Hannah, it starred Gugu Mbata-Raw and David Oyelowo. They play Jane, a recently bereaved tenant of mysterious Edward, a fucking crazy controlling architect, that's Oyelowo, by the way, who has built a 
quote-unquote dream house which he is letting out to whoever is prepared to live by his mad bastard rules like mustn't own a teapot or eat ketchup or something of that ilk. I'm with him on that second one. I, I have a rule that no one's allowed to eat ketchup in my house. What about teapots? Yes. I imagine that wouldn't hold much truck with you, Hannah. I've got loads of teapots because exactly. I drink a lot of tea, so people well, buy me teapots. So yeah, well, You I can't live in his dream them. house. Soz. Um, <laughs> you wouldn't want to, it transpires. Little does Jane know a girl, actually a woman, lived there before her and she came to a sticky end after accusing someone of raping her, which did actually happen to her, but not in the way she said, and splitting up with her super nice, in inverted commas, boyfriend, and getting together with mad bastard Edward, who, by the way, may or may not have killed his wife and child before she moved in having pledged not to eat ketchup in the house and breaking Oh, the I think I saw him on Tinder. This is why we don't go out with architects. <laughs> they <laughs> always do not like the same. ketchup. Always the dead wife. Always. <laughs> so you might have guessed from my slightly disparaging tone, I didn't like this and not just because the premise is utterly fucking ridiculous, but because as I alluded to in this week's podzine, if you listen to it, I just found a man writing about these poor tragic women, one sexually assaulted, the other who's had a stillbirth, just like fuck off, I'm bored of men writing about dead women, I'm bored of men writing about the misery of women, give us something else and stop portraying us as hapless morons, completely at the mercy of our poor fragile bodies and all reproductive systems. And on top of that, I'm really confused by Jessica Plummer in this, who plays said girl before, Emma. Jessica is better known as Chantelle in EastEnders, who you might remember was killed off in another accidental death at the hands of demonic deranged partner. And it seems like a weird role to be typecast in. But also, if you're going to show domestic abuse, and this isn't a criticism of her because I actually thought she was quite good in this, but if you're going to show domestic abuse, like do it properly because, in my opinion, EastEnders really fucked that storyline up. And I think this drama has essentially done the same thing, that domestic abusers aren't like bogeymen. They're real normal men. And if you're not portraying domestic abuse stories properly, then what is the point of these dead women on my screen unless it is just like to titillate? Amen. Amen to that. I was going to give Jen a stand innovation. That was incredible. Yeah. But I, I'm on a very noisy chair, so it would just mess up the podcast. I think my daughter playing the xylophone downstairs in the background might have ruined it a bit. But yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> it annoyed me. A positive BBC thing before the break, because I do think something the BBC does extremely well is David Attenborough. Obviously, mm. big fan of David Attenborough. There's a new David Attenborough. It's not about monkeys, Jen, but I'm watching it anyway. Great. There has been a monkey appearance. I was very excited. It's called Green Planet and it's all about plants. And it is absolutely fantastic. And it's on on a Sunday night at nine o'clock. You can catch up on the iPlayer. And we started off in the sort of Amazon, in the tropical jungles and the rainforest. And we did plants underwater last Sunday. And it's just just really lovely. And they kind of give the plants characters so we can see how they're... I don't mean like this is Jeff, he's a spider plant. I mean more (laughs) that, oh, this this plant is sort of murdering another plant. And obviously that's not how nature works. But it's really fascinating. And it's like all the good bits of school. So recommended you get involved. Also, it does sort of exemplify what there is to cherish about the BBC. And that is David Attenborough, (laughs) for sure. Great. Well, there was a positive note to end on. Let's have a break. Okay. Welcome back. 
Let's talk about something that both Mickey and I have been watching and we've been really enjoying, I think. Yay. Hannah, you mentioned Showtime's Yellow Jackets on the last Outside the Box, and you did give the caveat that it might be a bit gory for self-proclaimed windy wusses, me and Jen. Mm-hmm. But even with that in mind, the way you talked about this ten-parter made me want to get involved. Nine parts in, I regret nothing, yeah. because I am having a lovely time, even if that means watching some of it through my fingers and acknowledging that some of it is really quite silly. So a, a very brief recap on the plots. Well, plots, as Yellow Jacket splits its timeline in two. In 1996, backed by a kick-ass soundtrack, crack high school soccer team, the Yellow Jackets, are on their way to nationals when their plane crashes, leaving a load of teenage girls and a few token blokes stranded in the wilderness with no sign of help coming and food running out fast. It's no spoiler, given it's the very first scene of the series, but it sure looks like some sort of ritualised cannibalism is on the menu. Cut to 2021 and someone is blackmailing some of the surviving Yellow Jackets. But who? And why? And which team wound up as tea back in 1996? So when Hannah was three episodes in, she described it as a female Lord of the Flies, which is true, albeit with a bit more unity among the survivors. And it's also a bit lost, and it's even, dare I say it, a little bit desperate housewives. But it's also a thing all of its glorious, gory-ish own. It's this mashup of styles, horror, teen drama, whodunit, middle-aged woman drama, psychological thriller, but without feeling bitty. And it is very funny in ways you might not expect, given all of Mm. the above. Also, not only is it packed full of great female characters, it has nailed the casting when it comes to young and old characters and is full of excellent performances. From the teen cast, I'm going to give a shout out to Sophie Hatcher as a young Natalie, Sophie Nalise as the young Shauna and Samantha Harity as young Misty, so beautifully deranged in particular. And from the adults, we've got Melanie Linsky, Shauna, Christina Ricci's Misty, so beautifully mm. deranged, and Tony Cypress's Thaisa, and they're my standouts. I've also seen a lot of praise heaped on Juliet Lewis's Natalie, but nah. she leaves me cold. Always has. Yeah. Seemingly always will. I found something out, though, that's left me a little bit deflated. I've got to be honest with you, Hannah. And that is that Yellow Jackets is a series, yeah. not a limited series. Yeah. And I've really Mm. been enjoying watching the pieces fall into place week by week and had that anticipation that comes from some genuinely excellent cliffhangers, which meant that I've been really looking forward to Thursday evenings. And it's clear now that episode nine, episode 10 will have aired by the time you're listening to this. We're not actually going to get all the answers to the very, 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 very many questions still dangling in the season's finale. But yeah, I I mean, I'm going to watch it and I will definitely tune in for season two. Yeah, I actually have seen the last one because it's on the preview. Shh, no spoilers. I'm not going to tell you what happens by any stretch of the imagination. (laughs) I also share your suspicion. I think I described it as a mashup of Lord of the Flies and Alive when Mm, we were in the first one. And they actually reference Alive as well, yeah. I am not there at all for any comparisons to Lost because I don't want it to become Lost. And any suggestion that of anything supernatural in this bothers me because I don't want it to become Lost. I also discovered recently that it's kind of got its own ecosystem of what people think and theories. And that is a universe I have no interest in whatsoever. Mm, I'm trying not to read anything I, about I actually stuff. read an interview with the creators And they said they read nothing, which I find really, really reassuring because I don't want 
sort of I, I absolutely them to be influenced. Yes, exactly that. Sorry, I interrupted. Or you. to feel like they have to write things that are even more ridiculously convoluted so that people can't guess them. It's not snakes on a plane, people. <laughs> Let people write their stories. Exactly. And of course, there are there are so many plot holes and you know like we're in a forest we're in the dark and they can find things and see things and it's ridiculous but if you suspend all of that disbelief i actually find it incredibly entertaining it's so entertaining. i love young natalie i think she's incredible and i she's so good and i love old shauna uh yes yes melanie linsky yeah. is probably my favorite yeah i think oh, i call her old shauna she's younger than me but they have it older <laughs> shauna let's call it that um yeah i think it's a lot of fun i think christina ricci is doing you know absolutely just <laughs> incredibly job but to be fair the the young the young misty is also you know mad as the box and the mannerisms that they share is is so yeah. good yeah so and it's so well observed and it's not ott like they're the only reasons you recognize that's the older version of that character they just they just nail it you're like oh yeah i can absolutely believe that kid grew into that woman yeah even though we don't know what experiences they've had yet also that their older selves shauna has been left both incredibly secretive and also with no filter and her having no filter is really enjoyable because like how many middle-aged women do you see on television saying things like do you know what i don't even know if i like my daughter you know and and <laughs> how many women probably want to say it all the time so there are there are uh, i think she's brilliant for that has a kind of lack of filter her lack of impulse control is brilliant yeah jen i would suggest that you could probably get on board with yeah, it and just you. have to watch bits of it through your fingers which i do is it really you, gross th- there were bits that were really gory, but I think we've watched films that you've been fine with. You sat through American Werewolf and quite liked it, even though you closed your eyes in the gory bits. I, I think you could definitely do this. Yeah, but I was able to Wikipedia it first, so I knew exactly when to not look. You kind of know when stuff's going to happen. Okay. okay. Yeah. It also manages, I think, and this is, I would say, a huge achievement for me, is to make teenage romance not icky. Which is something that I genuinely, that's why I really struggle with things like, I know they're slightly older in this, but I really struggle with things like, you know, Stranger Things, because I'm like, I just just don't want to see teenagers snog in. Which is weird, because everyone knows that Dawson's Creek is your favourite TV show (laughs) ever. (laughs) Anna, did you ever watch Dawson's Creek? No, never. Okay, just wondered. (laughs) Never, never seen an episode. You're lost, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Yellow Jackets, though, Hannah, I have a question because we've watched it slightly differently. You watched the first three episodes week by week and then you caught up on the last six, in fact, all in one go. Well, not all in one go, over the space of about a week, but yes. No, all in one go. (laughs) Um, And I actually think the cliffhangers work really, really yeah. well. And they don't do that annoying thing that you've mentioned before. And I wholeheartedly agree with of purpose-free cliffhanger that is solved in the yeah. first two minutes. And I wondered if you felt they worked for you having watched it without a week in between. Yeah. I mean, the reason I watched it like that, because I actually quite enjoyed watching week by week telly. We've had this conversation before. The reason mm. I wa- watched it like that was a, because I wanted to watch it in time to be able to talk about it on this and I didn't have any Wi-Fi for a fortnight, did I? And secondly, because it's such a long break before I'd seen 
the from the first three to this mm-hmm. if i then watched it a week i'll go back and my memory is not always there with what the fuck who's this who's that character who's she because this does have a huge amount of background character but some yeah. of the background characters are now moving to the foreground and i'm like have we seen them before i don't so actually that was for my help but yeah i, I think it's pacey i do agree enormously about juliette lewis i've never i've never got it it doesn't always look like acting to me it looks like sort of standing <laughs> around quite a lot. I almost wrote down, and the other question is, is Juliette Lewis even actually acting? Because <laughs> I agree with you. Also, and this is not very feminist of me, but I'm going to share it with the listeners. I quite often just shout, you look grubby whenever she's on the telly, because to me, I just think she looks like she needs a shower. She does. <laughs> Moving on to another drama that's on the BBC. Quickly, I have only seen one episode of it. There is, I believe, three I have read some, I would say, fairly solid reviews of it, but nothing spectacular, which is Four Lives, which is a Jeff Pope. It's Well, he is the producer of it, written by Neil McKay, who's got quite a solid record in in this, which is essentially a real-life murder. Is it the Stephen Merchant one? Yes. Neil McKay wrote Appropriate Adult, which is the one where Dominic West was Fred mm. West, and also... The More Side, which is about Shannon Matthews with Gemma Whelan in it, which was also really good. And Sheridan Smith, who is in this one. Sheridan Smith, Stephen Merchant and Rufus Jones are the big names in this. Ooh, good names. It's about a series of real life murders of young gay men in London that the police mishandled, didn't didn't do what they were supposed to do and... Is it quite recent, the case? The most shocking thing about this is it's 2014. 2014, yeah, these, these murders started. So, yeah, the fact that that can still happen so recently is is shocking, but then again, not shocking. It's in East London, right? Are. Barking. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember this, yeah. I don't want to say too much because, obviously, if you don't know the case, then you might want to watch this as an actual sort of drama, but there is no hiding the, who the killer is. I mean, Stephen Merchant plays him and... You know, that is very clear from the start. Uh, I think it's solid. It didn't really grab me, I have to say. Probably because, as you well know, I don't really like TV murder dramas. But as you know, I have to watch a lot of them because I review telly. So here we are. It's not bad. Did they make him sympathetic in any way? Like they did with Tennant? No. And he's very, I mean, he's almost not there. It's, it's it's just almost like a sort of blank slate performance, I think, because perhaps the killer, who I didn't write his name down because I didn't want to be tempted to say it, that he, maybe that's exactly what he was like. I, I, haven't, mm. I haven't really done much Googling on this because I thought if either of you two were taken by it, maybe we could talk about it in the next one. But I just want to mention it, it was there. Who else has watched anything else? Jen, there's a new The Bay on ITV. Have you watched that? There is. I have watched it. It's in real time. As we record on Wednesday, the second episode will be on TV tonight. But it's all already on the ITV hub. So I've watched four episodes of it. It's not Morven Christie, is it? No, they have changed the cast. They've replaced main character Lisa. This is series three. And they've replaced main character Lisa, who was played by Morgan Christie, with a new family liaison officer, Jen, good name, played by Marsha Thomason. <laughs> and in a very shoehorned in kind of a way, explained that Lisa went off to that London for a change. 
I really likes. I really what accent was that, Jen? <laughs> Morecambe Bay, obviously. <laughs> I don't actually know. Is it? Is that in Yorkshire? No. Morecambe. No, I have no idea. Sorry. So I really liked series one and two, but a lot of that was because of the cast. You can't go wrong with Morgan Christie and Lindsay Coulson, in my opinion. I was a little bit worried about this series because I was like, well, if you take away the excellent cast, all you've really got is a detective series set in Morecambe. And no one's really explained to me at any point why I'm sort of supposed to care that it's set in Morecambe. But I watched it anyway, because, you know. I think maybe some people who live in Morecambe are supposed to care. No, I mean, on the series, no one's explained to me why I why it's significant that it's right. set in Morecambe. There's, it's just set in Morecambe. So it's just like a all, detective series, All basically. detective series are set in just regional towns, though. That's kind of the, the thing, Yeah, but it? I just mean there's maybe no... Maybe Morecambe's trying to rebrand from oh being like God. a 1950s-style seaside town in Lancashire to, you know... All I mean the, like, the hotbed of crime. Sorry, Morecambe <laughs> listeners. Morecambe-based <laughs> listeners who took offence at that. I don't mean any disrespect to Morecambe. I've never been there. I just mean... There's not really a premise to it. So there's not really like a hook that I can get excited about other than that I liked the cast previously. Right. But I watched it anyway. So uh, Jen is assisting a family whose son has ended up being found punched up and very much dead in said bay. The team, led by D.I. Tony Manning, played by Daniel Ryan, who is of the original cast and I like him very much in this role, set about investigating why and how he came to be there. There are some good performances by the supporting cast Bereaved Mum Murriam, played by Rena Mahoney, dodgy AF boxing club owner Vinny, played by Gary Lewis, misunderstood older brother Adnan, played by Michael Kareem, and protected younger brother Jamal, played by Nadim Islam, who is instantly deaf and playing a deaf character, which you don't see that much on TV, so I'm here for it. Um, I've watched four out of the six episodes, as I said, and I still feel very much like I don't know who done it or why. So, in summary, I'm enjoying it. Good. Good stuff. I have watched Frayed and I just have to say because you obviously it's not on till the end of February now and I'm hopefully going to get the brilliant Sarah Kendall on the show to talk about Frayed among other things and it is it's so so good but also you mentioned Gemma Whelan so I'm going to say that she pops up in Frayed and is as ever excellent. Great so Jen the last thing I want to know from you is because we made a promise Ooh. is that you would give us an update on and just like that are you still oh, watching? I am. And when I last spoke to you about it, I said, and just like that was a very fitting name for it because, and just like that, Miranda doesn't have a drink problem anymore. She's chosen not to have one, guys, so <laughs> she doesn't have one. Good for her. And just like that, Carrie doesn't have a congenital birth defect anymore. And just like that, Miranda's queer. And just like that, Carrie wants to wear a sari, so they've got an episode called Diwali. Like, it's just... There's a lot of diversity-based support humans in um, Just Like That. There are, and they haven't sort of bothered to give any of them an actual story. So I was chatting to my mate about this, and he... I think he's gotten to the nub of what's wrong with it. They've spent, like... They've fucked around for too long being like, here are these new characters, and they know each other because she's Miranda's professor, and look at this awkward meeting. And he was like, they could have just done away with that. Like, there's been a 15-year absence. They could have just been... They could have just presented them as, like, mm. we're friends, now here's their story. Mm -hmm. yeah. This is what's going on in their life. But they spent too long 
fannying around with the backstories that they've not actually bothered giving any of them like actual stories and they're sort of wasting them really but i am hopeful after like the fucking car crash that was the episode diwali and it really was just awful i was like i don't know if i can be bothered with this but i mean i will watch everything they ever make forever even if i don't want to the last episode i watched i think it was the fifth episode it made me laugh out loud twice guys twice and for me that is a glimmer of hope mm-hmm. in what has otherwise been for me i'm gonna use the pun guys that i used as we were discussing this before sex and the shitty mm. yeah i i watched the third episode in which they went to a comedy show in which nobody told any <laughs> jokes and i was just dumb <laughs> I was just done after that. <laughs> I saw the brilliant Rosie Jones tweeting about that episode as well, Hannah, and she just said, seriously, why can no one write a comedy scene where there's some actual comedy yeah. in like a, like a stand-up show? Yeah. Okay, so great stuff, Jen. Thanks for that. Or not great stuff, Jen. That sounded terrible and I will never watch it. But thank you. Outside the box. 